As he entered the press conference on the afternoon on November the 5th and the final two-year period in his eight-year presidency, US President Barack Obama was the epitome of resilience in the face of what the press and the media had already been hailing as a defeat for him in the midterm elections. Good afternoon, everybody. Have a seat. Today I had a chance to speak with John Boehner and congratulated Mitch McConnell on becoming the next Senate Majority Leader. And I told them both that I look forward to finishing up this Congress's business and then working together for the next two years to advance America's business. And I very much appreciated Leader McConnell's words last night about the prospect of working together to deliver for the American people. Uh, on Friday, I look forward to hosting the entire Republican and Democratic leadership at the White House uh, to chart a new course forward. Obama then tried to make nonpartisan sense of what had been, as usual, a highly partisan election. Now, obviously, Republicans had a good night, and they deserve credit for running good campaigns. Uh, beyond that, I'll leave it uh, to all of you and the professional pundits to pick through yesterday's results. What stands out to me, though, is that uh, the American people sent a message, uh, one that they've sent for several elections now. They expect the people they elect to work as hard as they do. They expect us to focus on their ambitions and not ours. They want us to get the job done. Then, in the nicest possible way, Obama chided the majority of Americans who had not voted. All of us in both parties have a responsibility to address that sentiment. Uh, still, as president, I have a unique responsibility to try and make this town work. So to everyone who voted, I want you to know that I hear you. To the two-thirds of voters who chose not to participate in the process yesterday, I hear you too. So I plan on spending every moment of the next two plus years doing my job the best I can to keep this country safe and to make sure that more Americans share in its prosperity. The election has inevitably served to accentuate partisan passions between Democrats and Republicans. Deftly, while admitting underlying conflict, Obama tries to accentuate the possibility of productive compromise. And I'm eager to work with the new Congress to make the next two years as productive as possible. I'm committed to making sure that I measure ideas not by whether they are from Democrats or Republicans, but whether they work for the American people. And that's not to say that we won't disagree over some issues that we're passionate about. We will. Congress will pass some bills I cannot sign. I'm pretty sure I'll take some actions that some in Congress will not like. That's natural. That's how our democracy works. But we can surely find ways to work together on issues where there's broad agreement among the American people. So I look forward to Republicans putting forward their governing agenda. Uh, I will offer my ideas on areas where I think we can move together to respond to people's economic needs. Obama even suggested that the Republicans' majorities in both houses could be an advantage in achieving things. The fact that they now control both chambers of Congress, he said, I think means that perhaps they have more confidence that they can pass their agenda and get a bill on my desk. 
It means that negotiations end up perhaps a little more real because they have large majorities in the House and they may be able to get some things through their caucuses that they couldn't get through before. But the bottom line, Obama went on, is that the American people want to know, and that I'm going to repeat here today, it's my number one goal because I'm not running again. I'm not on the ballot. I don't have any further political aspirations. My number one goal is just to deliver as much as I can for the American people in these last two years. Obama said nothing about his extended visit to Asia beginning next week. But then, no correspondent at the press conference raised that topic with him. But Obama ended his prepared remarks before taking questions by clearly indicating his feelings as he entered the final phase in his presidency, his energy still boundless. And, and the truth is, I'm optimistic about our future. I have good reason to be. I meet Americans all across the country who are determined and big-hearted, and ask that what they can do and never give up and overcome obstacles. And they inspire me every single day. So the fact is, I still believe in what I said when I was first elected six years ago last night. For all the maps plastered across our TV screens today, and for all the cynics who say otherwise, I continue to believe we are simply more than just a collection of red and blue states. We are the United States. And whether it's immigration or climate change or making sure our kids are going to the best possible schools to making sure that our communities are creating jobs, whether it's stopping the spread of terror uh, and disease to opening up doors of opportunity to everybody who's willing to work hard and take responsibility. The United States has big things to do. We can and we will make progress if we do it together. Uh, and I look forward uh, to the work ahead. Despite all the talk of renewed harmony between the Congress and the presidency, immigration has already re-emerged as a key divisive issue. Last year, the Senate passed a bill which Obama was willing to sign. But the House would not pass it for purely political reasons. Obama threatened an executive order instead of a law. Now House Speaker Boehner is threatening deadlock right across Congress if Obama does that. At his press conference, Obama said, On immigration, I know that concerns have been expressed that, well, if you do something through executive actions, even if it's within your authorities, that will make it harder to pass immigration reform. I just have to remind everybody, I've heard that argument now for a couple of years, this is an issue I actually wanted to get done in my first term, and we didn't see legislative action. And in my second term, I made it my top legislative priority, and we got really good work done by a bipartisan group of senators. But then it froze in the House. Among the big things to do, <laughs> one was never discussed during the recent election. Midterm elections arise because the U.S. House of Representatives, alone among national parliaments, gets elected every two years, while one-third of all senators, who all serve a six-year term, get elected every two years. 
This process enables the midterm elections to pass judgment on the performance of the political party in power in the Senate and the House of Representatives. But the midterm elections have also come to be seen as a judgment on the one man who does not participate in Congress. The president, who is elected every four years, does not participate in either House of Congress and may well have a weak political control of the two houses. This current midterm election has been widely seen in the press as a major defeat for incumbent President Barack Obama, but it was by no means a major defeat like the midterm election in 2010 during Obama's first term when the Democrats lost 63 seats and their previous majority in the House of Representatives. They had gained that majority when the Republicans lost 30 House seats in the 2006 midterm election. But the losses this year are small by comparison with the 2006 and 2010 elections. The real difficulty that presidents experience as a result of midterm elections is well illustrated by the fact that the president's party has only gained seats in both houses in two midterm elections this century and last century. The first time was at the height of the Great Depression in the midterm election of 1934 when President Franklin Roosevelt's Democrats gained nine seats in the House of Representatives and nine seats in the Senate. Then, in 2002, President George W. Bush's Republicans gained eight seats in the House and two in the Senate. In all other midterm elections, presidents have lost various numbers in both houses. But incidentally, in the midterm election of 1938, after he had tried to pack the Supreme Court with his own appointees, Franklin Roosevelt suffered the worst ever midterm defeat, losing 72 congressmen and seven senators. Since the end of World War II, the party of the incumbent president has on average lost 25 seats in the House and four in the Senate at every midterm election. Democratic presidents have done slightly worse than Republican ones, with the Democrats losing an average of 31 seats in the House and four to five senators, while Republican presidents have lost 20 congressmen and three senators. This process has led two scholars in public policy at Duke University to point out that the main impact of the midterm election in the modern era has been to weaken the president, the only government official other than the vice president, who is elected by the entire nation. Professor David Shanza and Jay Sullivan suggest that the realities of the modern election cycle are that the United States spends almost two years selecting a president with a well-developed agenda of his own, but then, less than two years after the inauguration, the midterm election cripples that same president's ability to advance that agenda. In a recent New York Times op-ed page article provocatively headlined Cancel the Midterms, the, these two academics argued that, quote, there was a time when midterm elections made sense. 
At our nation's founding, the Constitution represented a new form of Republican government, and it was important for at least one body of Congress to be closely accountable to the people. But now, especially at a time when Americans' confidence in the ability of their government to address pressing concerns is at a record low point, two-year House of Representatives terms, two-year House of Representatives terms no longer make any sense. We should get rid of federal midterm elections entirely. Unquote. In addition to pointing out other weaknesses of the current system, Shanza and Sullivan suggest a sensible remedy, reduce the number of elections. Quote, the government should, through a constitutional amendment, extend the term of House members to four years and adjust the term of senators to either four or eight years so that all federal officials would then be chosen during presidential election years, unquote. One great advantage of such a change would be that, quote, it would provide members of Congress with the ability to focus more time and energy on governments instead of always electioneering every two years, unquote. Amazingly, during Obama's lengthy post-election press conference, not a single journalist asked him about this possible and plausible reform. It would have been fascinating to hear his comments. But in their effort to ask headline-seeking questions and to find out how U.S. misgovernment would continue, the U.S. press neglected to inquire how U.S. misgovernment might just possibly be ended. <laughs>